We are going to be finishing up 2 Timothy today, and so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be going through verses 9 to 22. And so we're at the end of Paul's letter to Timothy, um, and, and as you look at it, it might seem unimportant, right? There's uh, Paul saying goodbye to a bunch of people. Um, it's a lot of hard-to-pronounce names there. If you're reading on your own, you might just kind of skim over it. You're on to Titus. Um, yeah, what application would there, would there be at the very end of Paul's letter? That ha- what, what, what hasn't Paul already said? Um, as, as, as Rick asked me to, to preach, I said, absolutely. And then I read through it, and I was like, oh, good, a bunch, Paul's saying goodbye to a bunch of people. That'll make a great, like, 40-minute sermon, right? <laughs> but as I dug into these verses, I found them to be a window into the heart of Paul and a window into uh, Paul's ministry. And so they're, they're this demonstration that, that infused in Paul's life were gospel partnerships. And these partnerships were the means by which God would use Paul to spread the gospel throughout the world. And so oftentimes when we think of Paul, or at least when I think of Paul, I think of, you know, this inspired teacher, unrelenting, um, maybe always getting in trouble for, for preaching truth, this lone wolf charging around the Mediterranean. He's self-sufficient. You know, he gets in a shipwreck, right? He shrugs it off. Uh, he, gets, he has beatings within, within an inch of his life. Oops, there we go. Uh, he takes it, oh, uh, you weren't supposed to see that. <laughs> he gets imprisoned, right? He just, he just shrugs it off. He, he is, he is kind of like Chuck Norris, right? And you guys thought we were, we were coming inside because of the weather. No, we were coming inside so I could use PowerPoint to give you Chuck Norris memes, right? Uh, here's another one. And we, love, we, we, we crack up at this, uh, and we think of, of Paul in this way, right? Okay, one more, one more. But, but actually, actually not. In fact, um, in these verses, we see that, that, that Paul is not this loner stereotype, that that is far from reality. And so, if we were to go through uh, the New Testament, we were to count up all the friends and all the associates of Paul, we would come up with almost 100 names. These gospel partners are absolutely essential to Paul's gospel work, and they should be essential to our lives as well. And so, in these last verses of 2 Timothy, we get insight into the value and the appreciation Paul has for these partnerships in the gospel. And so, if you'd uh, stand with me as we read God's Word, 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 to 22, Paul speaking to Timothy, asking him, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message." 
At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Meet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Ebulus sends greetings to you, as do Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord will be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And so, you can go ahead and sit down. Um, Paul's closing words to Timothy, they're both sad and beautiful, but full of hope, even, even in his brokenheartedness. And as we look closer, I, want, I hope to make the case that as we see in the life of Paul, the importance of gospel partnerships should be essential to the Christian life. It should be essential to our lives. Now, the points, uh, the things we're going to look at today are um, gospel partnerships in the writing of Paul, then gospel partnerships in the life of Paul, uh, the gospel partnerships require forgiveness, gospel partnerships bring us joy in Christ, and then gospel partnerships in our life. And so, I'm using this phrase, uh, gospel partnerships, here because I think the Christian life is one of Christ-centered friendship and Christ-centered ministry. And First and Second Timothy are, are pastoral epistles um, uh, written to, to, to Timothy, a pastor, but these principles that Paul is giving us are, are for all Christians, not just paid ministers or pastors or full-time missionaries. In fact, you are a minister to each other, and you're a minister to those uh, unbelievers that you know. Christian ministry is, is Christian living for the good of others. And so the Bible calls it fellowship or partnership for the purpose of sharing and helping others grow in the good news of the gospel. All right, my first point is um, gospel partnerships in the writings of Paul. And we see this as we look at Paul's writings. He writes a lot of letters. Um, and we've talked, uh, we've talked a lot about how the church is not merely this building, right? That the church is an ecclesia, a gathering. It's not the structure of wood and drywall and plaster, but, but the church is the people. And so, it's a people committed to preaching the Word of God because Jesus demands um, that we commit ourselves to His preaching. And it's people committed to obeying God in baptism and the Lord's Supper because Jesus wants us to remember that we were baptized into His death and that we live because of His work on the cross and not our own. A people committed to the one another's of Scripture, to accountability, to encouragement, to discipleship, to counseling, to ministering others. A people committed to gospel partnerships. And so Paul in his writings, he gives us three metaphors, three pictures for the church. 
And the church is, is this community of God's people that are partnering for the gospel. Maybe the most common, the most intuitive uh, image for the local church is that of the body. And so, the first time we, in Scripture we see um, that Scripture, Paul was referring to Christians as being part of one body, is Romans 12, 4, and 5. And it says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And so the body is seen most clearly in the context of the, of the local church. It's here that individuals, we come together with a single purpose, to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ and to edify the saints. So, there are some of you who are called to teach, some called to serve, some called to counsel, some called to work with uh, seniors or any youth, any number of ministries. And I think this analogy works really well. If you think about it, if uh, one part of your body is injured, what happens? The rest of your body has to make up for it. It's affected. If you break your left foot, then your right foot is doing all the walking, really. Uh, it has to bear more weight. Your arms must balance better. Even your back is under greater stress. And the same is true for the local church. Each member comes with, with gifts, with weaknesses. We compensate for each other. We don't have to run the race all alone. And a healthy body is a powerful tool for God's work. Now, um, <laughs> I know I said that the church is not the building, but Paul uses a metaphor that the church is like a building, right? Big difference, right? Um, we are like a building in, the, in, that, um, in that we're like bricks on top of one another. He, he gives this picture in, in 1 Corinthians 3.9. Uh, he's speaking to the church in Corinth, uh, an immature uh, group of believers, but he says, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so we see this building or temple metaphor uh, often used by Paul in Scripture. If you're curious, if you want to uh, take notes and check it out later, Ephesians 2.21 2 Corinthians 6.16 or 1 Timothy 3.15. Elsewhere in Scripture, this is corroborated. It confirms calling believers living stones of a spiritual house, and Christ is the cornerstone of that house. The cornerstone is, is this initial stone that's set down, and everything else is aligned to it. The local church is considered God's building then. It's made of Christians in gospel partnerships giving each Christian a purpose and a place. Like I said, just as one brick rests on the others and supports the ones above it, each Christian should be resting on and relying on each other. Um, but it's oftentimes uh, when I do a project, uh, at the end of it, there are, there are spare parts. There are extra parts around, right? And this concerns my wife, but... Um, I'm, I'm pretty unfazed by it. I'm pretty confident that, that whatever those parts were, they, they weren't necessary. Um, maybe it was just over-designed, right? I've, I've streamlined it. I've made it more, uh, more efficient, more, more lightweight, right? I don't think Michelle agrees with me there. Um, but if we are bricks in a, in a building built by God, then no brick will be left just lying around with no place to go. 
So finally, Paul gives us the picture of a family. And once again, um, Paul explains to Timothy um, that the church is not, not where we meet, but how we are related to one another. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, uh, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. And so, who's the head of this household? Well, it's Christ. Who are the children uh, who reside in the household? Um, they're the men and women who, who surrender under the authority of Jesus. They are adopted into God's family. And so, we see in Ephesians 1.5, he says, he, being the Father, predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. And so, being part of God's household implies relationships not with, just with God, but with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, as a family, these relationships, they're, they're not casual. There's too much at stake to be casual. These relationships, they're binding. And so, Paul's intention in giving us this, these metaphors is to demonstrate that the Christian life is at its core a partnership with other Christians, that we are depending on one another, that we're working with one another, that we are loving one another, that we're to be united, doing life together, doing ministry together. And Paul doesn't just, he doesn't just theorize about this. He lives this out in his own life. We see that Paul has gospel partnerships throughout his life. Unfortunately, we see in this passage that some of these gospel partnerships fall apart. We see this in Demas. Who was Demas? We hear his name uh, first in, in, in uh, Paul's letter to Philemon. He says, greetings, and then Paul includes a, a, list of, a long list of names, right? Uh, uh, people that we're going to see, uh, that we see in our, in our passage at the end of Paul's life. But when he says Demas, he says, my fellow worker, right? Greetings from my fellow worker. We look at Paul's letter uh, in Colossians 4, about two years later, Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Now, maybe six years later, this is our text. In verse 4, I mean, verse 10, Paul says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And there's a trajectory here. We see from fellow worker, from gospel partner, to just Demas, to Demas the deserter. And so, I've seen this happen with pastors and worship leaders and friends. One of the, the sad realities of, of having social media and connecting with people uh, that you once knew and loved is, is seeing them walk away from Christ. You work in wor uh, youth ministry long enough, and it's heartbreaking to see sometimes where students are years later. It's even more painful uh, with those that you once considered partners in the gospel. Demas has forsaken Paul. He's forsaken the church. He's forsaken Christ. Paul wants Timothy to feel the weight of this but also be warned why Demas left the ministry. He says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Now, Paul isn't saying, you know, um, don't love your neighbor here, this idea of being in love with the world. 
uh, yeah, we're to serve and we're to love them. We're to give them the truth of the gospel. But there is a sense that, that if your heart is in love with the world, he's saying you just love what unbelievers love. There's a love for the world that is incompatible with the Christian life, with Christian life and ministry. If you're in love with the world, embracing the culture, one of two things happen. You, you either have to leave the ministry of the church or change the ministry to be worldly enough to survive in the culture. And so we see this in so-called progressive Christianity. The world doesn't believe in miracles. So we'll just create a miracle-free Christianity, right? Our culture is uncomfortable with hell or with the wrath of God universalism. They don't believe that God, that Christ is, is the second person of the triune God, Unitarianism. They don't believe in the sovereignty of God, open theism. They definitely don't believe that God has a design for gender or for marriage or for families or for the unborn. It goes on and on. And so, regarding this topic, a friend has said to me, if, if you don't believe it, that's cool, but don't change it. If you feel like you have to embrace the culture to be relevant, it always results, it always results in the ignoring of God or the denying of God or the demeaning of God or the distorting of Christ. This is mutually exclusive but with a deep love of Jesus. And so to expose and shine light on the world, to witness to the world, to go on a rescue mission to the world requires partnerships that, that love the gospel more than we love culture. To be fair, we don't know the circumstances with Demas. Was it a relationship in Thessalonica? Was it a job? Maybe it was just easier not to be around Paul in his ministry. Maybe under Paul's leadership, he couldn't make the ministry worldly, so he left. I'm sure there were lots of other churches uh, with less per persecution, maybe less accountability, less drive for work to be done for the gospel. And it's easy, it's easy for us to demonize uh, Demas and then, and then just move on, but I think we all feel that pull of loving this world. It plays, in how, it plays out in how we spend our time, how we spend our money. Do we ignore God's call to the hard things? Do we even want what the gospel demands? Do we love the appearing of Christ more? These are questions we have to ask ourselves. A love for the culture to small degrees is, is largely accepted in Christianity, and it's easy to conceal or it's easy to justify. But gospel partnerships, they, they make it more difficult to be persuaded by the lure of the world. Take missionaries, for example, especially those embedded in places where um, they're concealed or, or th there aren't any other Christians around. They're all by themselves uh, as far as brothers and sisters in Christ. They might be the only examples of what a Christian is. We love Brent and Erica, the, the Haberchaks, and, and I know they were struggling at, at, at the beginning of COVID. Do we stay? Do we leave? I think after getting good counsel, they stayed, and they, they potentially put themselves in, in the danger of not having, you know, the best of Western medicine at their disposal. But what a message, what a message to those around them that when danger comes, 
You're not going to run away. I think more people leave Christ, leave the church, leave ministry, leave the hope of eternal life in Christ out of love for the world than any other reason. And think about it. Satan works hard to make this world attractive. So Paul, he warns Timothy. Verse 14, it says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. And so this might be the same Alexander that Paul mentions in 1 Timothy. And he, if it is, he describes him as, as rejecting a good conscience, having made a shipwreck of his faith. And Paul says, he handed him over to Satan that he may not, so that he may learn not to blaspheme. Paul, he, he essentially, he excommunicated him as a means of biblical discipline, hoping that being outside of God's blessing, being outside of God's protection, being out of gospel partnerships, that, that he would repent, that he would return to fellowship. That was his hope. And we can't be sure Alexander was a pretty common name back then, but if it was, this is one of the many, including Hymenaeus, that, that apostatize under these false teachers and these false doctrines that, that Paul's been warning Timothy against. And it may have been that, that Alexander was, was a cop, well, uh, he was a coppersmith, and it may have been that, that he was an idol maker. And so there was this moral conflict. He might have been also instrumental in, in getting Paul um, arrested, put in chains. And so we see Demas drifted away, but Alexander remains. He, he persists in opposing Paul and those in the church. He's not content with destroying his own faith. He wants to shipwreck Paul. He wants to shipwreck the church and the gospel partnerships within it. And there's many false teachers out there today. They all come from inside the church, and they continue to woo Christians away from orthodoxy, and they rail on the church that they came out of. They came out of. So Alexander's excommunication, it would, it, would have, um, it would have also clearly communicated to those outside of the church and those inside of the church that Alexander was not a gospel partner. He is not to be taken instruction from. And he doesn't represent the Christians in Ephesus. Paul's not, not being spiteful, saying the Lord will repay him for his deeds. Paul knows, and, and uh, this quote from John Stott in his New Testament commentary, I think, points to that. He says, thus belief and behavior, conviction and conscience, the intellectual and the moral are closely linked. This is because God's truth contains ethical demands. As Jesus said, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out or know whether my teaching comes from God. In other words, doing is the key to discovering, obedience the key to assurance. By contrast, it is when people are determined to live in unrighteousness that they su su suppress the truth. And so, if Alexander didn't repent, uh, and we get no indication that he did, that he's going to get um, what he has earned from a life of sin against a holy God. But, but this quote, this, this idea is that, that our actions, right, um, and our beliefs are interconnected. It means that partnering in the gospel is an outworking of your trust in Christ. And when we trust in Christ, 
There's an outworking of, of what we do. We're obedient. We partner in the gospel with others. The church, um, it's an outworking of our, not only our trust in Christ, but the church that, that, that he has put you in and the good news that the world so desperately needs. Thankfully, not, not all of Paul's gospel partnerships fell apart, uh, but many friends went away for the sake of the gospel. Paul conveys to Timothy the whereabouts of these gospel partners. He says, uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Tychicus to, to Ephesus, Carpus uh, is in Troas. And Paul asked Timothy to, to greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth, and Paul left Trophimus too ill to travel in Miletus. And this is very powerful for me because I have friends in ministry. I have gospel partnerships that I will probably not see again. I, I probably won't see some of these people this side of heaven. I just won't. Uh, that's the reality of it. They're, these are people that I love, and I would love to hang out with them. I would love to see them. They've been a huge influence in my life. I've done gospel work with them. I've laughed with them, prayed with them, cried with them that I won't see because they're doing kingdom work. They're creating and building gospel partnerships where they are. Woo. We were praying this morning in elders and, and weeping, and uh, I, blame, I blame that. <laughs> the, 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 the seal was broken. Um, yeah, these guys are, are doing gospel work, and so am I, and that's a good thing. Many of these saints are, are, are people from this church, previous churches. Lots of them are from, from years of ministering to Mormons in Utah. Every, every year, like-minded Christians would go up to Manti, Utah, and, 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 and uh, partner for the gospel, um, evangelizing Mormons. One of, them, one of them is a good friend of mine. He lives in Irvine, okay? And we would laugh that we go all the way to Utah to see each other. In my close group of high school friends, four out of the five of us are, are in ministry, but I rarely see them. I love, um, I love the gospel partnerships that I have at Christ Community Church. You guys are amazing, uh, but my heart's desire is that, that some of you would leave, and I mean that in the, most, in the best, most loving way. Go and make disciples, and it would be a sad and joyous occasion because I want to see ministry grow. And sometimes that means that, the, as, as Pastor Rick says, there, there's these gospel goodbyes to plant churches, to revitalize dying churches, to go on mission. And we see that even within the church, and, and I came to this church, I actually came to this church through a community group. That, that, that group no longer exists in its original form because some have moved, others have gone on to do ministry. Um, and that group kept inviting new people into the group so that it grew and grew and grew until we had to multiply. And then that happened again. And then that happened again. Now these groups, those groups, those, those, the people who are in my original group are now leaders in other groups. They're full of singles and couples and families who are looking for connection, who are looking to partner in the gospel as well, to do life together. And if a group is full of mature believers, how amazing would it be that all that wisdom, all that experience would be shared, but it would require sacrifice. It would require gospel goodbyes. And so, <laughs> I, I don't hope, hope it doesn't sound tragic, but the, but the real, reality is that 
I still connect with all those people. We still hang out. But now I get to see them grow in Christ-likeness. Some of them are in here, sorry. Um, as they shepherd and they minister and they counsel to people. And, uh, and I'm good friends with them. All right. Focus, Tim, focus. Back to our passage, verse 11. Although Paul says, Luke alone is with me, we see further down that he has, he has some connections, and he sends greetings to Timothy from, from Ebulus and Pudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Now, Luke has been with Paul uh, since he was in Troas on Paul's second missionary journey. Luke, a historian, he's, he's, he was recording the eyewitness accounts, the eyewitness testimonies of those who knew Christ best, only to have them become only to have Luke become part of the, the story himself in Acts 16. As a believer in Christ, the pronouns changed as Luke writes from, from they did these things to we did these things. He has been Paul's travel companion, a gospel partner, a close friend. Paul refers to him as, as, as beloved. Luke is also a doctor and is Paul's personal physician a faithful biographer writing Luke Acts, and here in Rome, he is loyal to Paul. And then we see, we see a gospel partnership that has been restored. Praise God. In the middle of verse 11, Paul says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Mark? John Mark, the, the one that abandoned Paul and a Barnabas on their first missionary journey? Acts 13 13 says, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, uh, meaning Mark here, left them and returned to Jerusalem. The, the same Mark who, who Paul refused to take with him on his second missionary journey, we see in Acts, now Barnabas wanted to take with them, John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. Yeah, that Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Whatever differences they had in the past, near, near the end of Paul's life, he and Mark were restored. Finally, we get to the, the saddest uh, verse in our passage, verse 16, where Paul says, at my, defense, at my defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. All? Not even Luke? Not even the brothers? Now, we don't know exactly why, but, but, but at Paul's trial, he's, he's completely unsupported. He's completely alone. But Paul, like his master, he knows that he's not alone. In John 16, 32, Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Similarly, Paul could say that all deserted me. And verse 17 says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. 
That's why it was rescued from the lion's mouth. So, Paul, he's on trial for his life. He's been deserted by his friends who are either unable or unavailable to stand with him. He's opposed by his enemies. He's unsupported in trial by any attorney or any witness. He's alone. But Christ's presence at Paul's side gave him the courage to preach the gospel in that moment, to preach to the Gentiles present at the trial, and led to his, ris- his rescue, at least, at least temporarily, from danger. No one's there. Paul's alone. This had to be hard for him. Verse 16, Paul says, may it not be charged against them. Again, he follows Christ's example. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They all forsook Jesus. They they left Him. They denied Him. In response, He forgave them, and then He built the church on them. He said, through these gospel partnerships, my, my gospel will be spread. Here's the deal, guys. People will fail you. Christians will fail you. You will have imperfect brothers and sisters in Christ. You will have brothers and sisters in Christ that will sin against you. They'll let you down. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to forgive and continue in gospel partnerships for your good and for their good and the good of Christ's church and God's glory. Why was Mark restored? Why can Paul speak highly of and send greetings from those that weren't there when he needed them? Because Paul values forgiveness. So, your friends will fail you. Your, your spouses will fail you. Your leaders will fail you. And I don't mean big moral failings, uh, although those might happen, but I mean that there will be times when people will be able to say, he didn't show up when I was in the hospital, or he didn't come to my child's wedding, or wasn't there during a crisis, during a, the death of a loved one. People will let you down. We're denying our own experience, and we're denying Scripture if we allow ourselves to think, if they were really a Christian, they wouldn't have let me down. Ebulus and Pudence and Linus and Claudia and even Luke, even Luke didn't show up at Paul's trial. Paul values forgiveness because of the forgiveness he was given, bought and paid for by Christ on the cross. We have to make a choice to forgive and work through tough situations, seeking resolution in order to see gospel partnerships thrive. Verse 18, Paul says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Only Christ will not fail you, will not let you down. Jesus is the only totally reliable friend for sinners. Only Jesus can can rescue you from every evil deed and bring you safely into His heavenly kingdom. Though Paul was deserted, though Paul was deserted by men and supported by Christ, again, he would never have endorsed this type of lone wolf Christianity, says that, that it's just me and God. Why? Because gospel partnerships bring us joy in Christ. He says to Timothy, verse 9, do your best to come to see me soon. Verse 21, do your best to come before winter. He knows that the shipping, the shipping trades stop in the winter. He wants them to come soon so he doesn't miss out on this opportunity. 
And Paul knows that his end is coming near. He longs for Timothy to be near, to be in his presence as a comfort and as a joy. And this was typical of Paul. To the believers in Rome, he says, he says, I long to see you. I have longed for many years to come to you. To the Philippian church, he says, whom I love and long for, my crown and joy, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. To the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Some will say, I have Jesus, and, and, and that's enough. But Christ-centered friendships and, and gospel partners, they further our joy in Christ. I think of how much I laugh when I'm around other believers, especially doing ministry together, sometimes getting our hands dirty, staying up way too late, uh, doing crazy things, but, but laughing. Christ created Christian friendship. He died for it. Paul knew it, and he lived his life participating in and promoting these gospel partnerships that were centered on Christ, because only Jesus can make friendships eternal. Gospel partnerships are of eternal significance. They're centered on Christ to bring us joy and do the work of the church that Jesus died to create and to encourage. Paul got this, and we see it throughout his life, even at the very end. The question then is, brothers and sisters, is it important for you? And where are the gospel partnerships in your life? I can only go so far uh, with sports analogy before I'm, sports analogies before I'm out of my depth because uh, I never really played f- football or basketball. I, I did play uh, t-ball, but I was horrible. I was, I was a strikeout king. I, I played left field, like way left field. Um, but in high school, I finally, I finally grew into my gangly body, and, and, and I was competitive. I, I played water polo, and I swam, and I loved it. I was good at both, but, but I, was, I was actually pretty good at swimming. And I loved being part of a team. I loved the camaraderie. I loved relying on other players to su- succeed as well as, as so, so in water polo, the, the team aspect of it, but in swimming, the individual aspect of it as well. Um, you're still part of a team. Uh, you practice it as a team, but unless you're on a relay, um, and a relay is really like you go all out and then you just hand it off to someone else and then they go all out. Um, swimming, there's a very much a sense, if you've done individual competitive sports, that, that it's very in your head, right? You against everyone else, even your own teammates. That's the mentality when the gun goes off. Now, I, I know how you guys love to see embarrassing pictures of pastors. So here's, here's me and my, my Speedos. Yeah. The point is that there's a difference between team sports and individual sports. And at the end of Paul's letter to Timothy, Paul's life, it it demonstrates that Christianity is a team sport. And so Paul seems uh, like the kind of godly man who'd be unaffected by loneliness. He had Jesus, and yet he's still lonely. He was affected by having to defend himself alone. It's sad, but, but, but he's human. But who do we see as, as these super-Christians? 
Is it pastors or maybe celebrity pastors or speakers or apologists? Who are the Christians today without support? Are they missionaries? Are they Christians in prisons in countries where uh, they're hostile to the gospel? Where are we as Christians not in support of those giving their lives for the gospel? And what kind of partner will you be? Are you loyal like Luke? Did you bail like Mark and need to be restored, need to get off the bench and get back in the game? Are you distracted, entertained, wooed by the world like Demas? It may not happen right away, but are are you slowly slipping away? Do you need to forgive or be forgiven? What's that next step for you? Are you investing in gospel partnerships? In fact, who are you partnering with? Not just missionaries within the church, but, it, but, but, but look around. If you are Paul writing your final letter, who do you mention? Who are the gospel partnerships in your life? Who mentions you? Gospel partnerships are, are, are living in community and accountability within the context of a local church. This was important to Paul because it was important to Christ and so Paul wanted it to be important to Timothy, and he wants it to be important to you. And gospel partnerships, they, they were lived out in the life of Paul because they were established by, and they were lived out by Christ. And so Paul wanted it to be integral in the life of Timothy, and the life of the church, and your life as well. Pray with me. Lord, uh, we want to be changed by your word. We want to be uh, conformed to what is true and good and beautiful. God, with regard to uh, the partnerships that we make in this life, that they would be about your gospel, that we would be um, encouraged to do life together as brothers and sisters in Christ, to have eternal significance. God, you are good, and that even when we, we, we try and serve you, you bless us. And so we, we, we thank you that, that this is a place of joy for us. God, let us examine our lives, and let us be partnering for the good of others, for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.